I really see this as a relighting of rural America. This is episode 225 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. There's a project taking shape in rural southwest Michigan and the nearby regions of Indiana and Ohio. It's headed up by the Midwest Energy Cooperative. At the recent Broadband Communities Economic Development Conference in Minneapolis, Chris ran into Bob Hance, President and CEO of the Cooperative, and Dave Allen, the Cooperative's Vice President of Regulatory Compliance. Naturally, we wanted to hear more about their project and share the details with you. They provide some history and how access to high-quality connectivity has positively impacted a number of their rural members. Chris, Bob, and Dave also have some interesting thoughts on federal funding programs, project standards, and the different rules for cooperatives and big corporate providers. Learn more about the project at teamfiber.com, where you can also discover more about the cooperative. Now, you may notice some background noise. We apologize in advance. While we advocate for local choice and access to technology, sometimes technology is just not on our side. We had a little trouble with the mic that day. Also, Chris is suffering from allergies, and until winter sets in, he may sound a little like the late Howard Cosell, but never fear, it is our Christopher. Now here with Chris are Bob Hance, President and CEO, and Dave Allen, Vice President of Regulatory Compliance from Midwest Energy Cooperative. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with two folks from Michigan, Bob Hance, the President and CEO of Midwest Energy Cooperative. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And Dave Allen, the Vice President of Regulatory Compliance for the Cooperative. Welcome to the show. Yep. Thanks, Chris. Good to see you out in uh, Minneapolis. Yes, Dave. It was terrific to run into you and to learn more about your approach. Not many people say that, Chris. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy to be the one. Um, <laughs> now, your cooperative is really leading Michigan in terms of delivering high-quality Internet access. Can you tell us about your regions that you serve? Yeah, I can touch on uh, the areas that, that we serve and set that up. And Bob does a great job of kind of talking about our uh, history um, and communication space. Uh, Midwest Energy serves 12 counties, eight of those in uh, Michigan, uh, three in yep. Indiana, and another two in Ohio. So... You know, we have two distinct service areas, one in southeast Michigan and one in southwest Michigan. The areas we're really focusing on uh, in terms of our initial uh, phase of this project is the uh, southwest Michigan district. And that's an area that's kind of characterized by uh, Notre Dame uh, down in Indiana and South Bend. And you can kind of uh, go in a northeasterly direction toward uh, Kalamazoo and southwest Michigan, where kind of those counties that fall in between that space. Uh, the area is really kind of identified by uh, Whirlpools, uh, World Headquarters. Uh, Kellogg uh, World Headquarters is uh, nearby in Battle Creek. We've got uh, old Pfizer up in Kalamazoo, a lot of industry that uh, kind of uh, is in the area but not in our direct service footprint. Um, you know, the areas that we serve are kind of more rural areas, more characterized by um, seed corn industry, and perhaps to the south, um, the RV industry. My point being is that we're extremely rural. Uh, we probably serve about eight uh, members per mile, uh, but we do have large industry. That's an area that lives um, in our service footprint and really have a need for um, access to high-speed broadband. I have to point out that after talking with some of the telephone cooperatives here in Minnesota, eight people a mile seems uh, it's a positive luxury in some cases. 
in terms of uh, you know municipals are sixty some odd, I believe uh, customers per mile. Um, Investor-owned utilities kind of run in the uh, thirty uh, members per mile or customers per mile uh, range. Uh, so uh, you know at eight customers per mile, that's uh, that's still pretty rural. I think that a, a rule of thumb has been that you make money when you have 11 people per linear mile or more with a private sector business plan, um, but not if you have less than 11 people per mile. Um, but let's talk about your history of offering communication services. Technically, we've been in uh, an active ISP since the mid-90s. Um, that was all brought upon by a relationship that we had with Transworld Network. We provided third-party long distance as well as uh, ISP services through dial-up. As the internet progressed and people became more and more in tune with all things um, related to the electronic world and personal computers uh, and the mobile mobile devices that we have today, obviously dial-up service was just not going to, to be the thing in the future. So over time, we've had many, many folks that have left that to go to other um, options, including satellite, which we ventured into providing terrestrial broadband, thinking that that was going to be a, a possible solution to, to the rural space that we were in and a good replacement for dial-up. Unfortunately, uh, we ran into problems such as uh, limited uh, band availability in the service territories that we were trying to serve. We had numbers of people who had signed up for that service, but uh, were let down because uh, the capacity of the satellite just wasn't going to meet the demand. And even though they launched the second uh, satellite, uh, we ran into the same problem with that and eventually um, moved on to phase number three, I guess, if you will, in sure. trying to provide rural America with some semblance of broadband, and that was broadband over power line. Um, we were one of nine co-ops that were involved with a company called IBEC, uh, that was the single source provider of equipment and uh, process that would provide a signal across the power lines. So an injection uh, on our current equipment that sounded very promising as well. Uh, unfortunately, we were two years into it and finally started to get past some of the technical issues that came with broadband over power lines uh, when they announced, uh, IBEC announced that they were bankrupt. That was back in 2011, uh, mm -hmm. December. So uh, here we have uh, like 600 people that had been hooked up or a few hundred people that had hooked up both on satellite and, and uh, broadband over power line. And instead of abandoning them entirely, we just went back to the drawing board and said, what's next? Interestingly enough, at the same time, um, separate from communications, our utility folks, which includes me, were kicking around what we were going to do uh, with respect to our needs and communications for the electric space. We have an active SCADA system. We, we know what's going to happen with the, the further smartening of the grid. Um, so clearly, utilities have been using various forms of communications between substations and, and, and their corporate offices and headquarters to, to get data back from the field. Eventually, the light comes on and, and we say, if we put in this system, this fiber system, we take care of our utility needs, and at the same time, we can leverage that with the opportunity to replace what we've been trying to do 
uh, by pi- providing true broadband to our membership, which married quite well together, I can say. Well, it's interesting because I think almost all electric utilities are involved in communications for internal needs, uh, but there's a split between those who see themselves purely as an electricity co-op and not interested in doing anything externally, and then those that see themselves as more technology-driven and bringing the technology of the day to their members. Is, is that your experience? Well, I, it's, I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I think that's the kind of the conversations that, that have been had across the country. But the way I like to see it is we're doing what's what's required, I guess, to continue to serve our membership in a relevant way. And, and I'll just uh, exercise that a little bit by saying, if not for the insistence of them for the last several years that we look at ways to provide them the service, I don't know that we would have. I think our principal responsibility uh, and a duty is to our membership and if the membership is asking us to consider other products and services that makes being in a part of the rural uh, landscape more enjoyable, more affordable, more reasonable for them, that's what we ought to do. Dave, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, you know, just to add to that, uh, we don't have an annual meeting per se, but we have uh, district meetings where Bob goes out and engages our, our membership. And, and over the course of probably the last uh, three or four years, uh, the questions trended away from anything having to deal with um, electricity and, and more toward, you know, can you provide a broadband solution? And we have a lot of folks out here that are on air cards. I think there's still some some people on uh, dial-up and folks utilizing satellite, frustration with uh, usage allowances, uh, you know, with cost, with reliability, all these things that kind of enter into the equation. They're just kind of tired and fed up with that. So, you know, increasingly they have asked us to uh, enter that communication space where, you know, in all honesty, we were very comfortable remaining, you know, an electric co-op. So we're a little bit of a reluctant participant, but there's a lot of things going on with respect to energy, too, and Bob touched on uh, some of the smart grid things we're doing. We have to do a better job of helping people manage their energy use better, so this is one component of that. Now, I I understand that you're not alone, uh, that there's other cooperatives in Michigan that are interested in working together to improve Internet access? Uh, We're working in conjunction with the other electric co-ops in Michigan. Uh, There are nine of us uh, specifically. A number of them are going through this process of evaluating from a conceptual standpoint, you know, maybe moving forward, they're doing their due diligence. There are some surveys that have been presented to their memberships. Um, At least three of them are fairly active in this process, but um, of course, you know, it it takes a little bit of time for them to to walk through that. So uh, I I think it's promising. I think uh, uh, they understand that we're here to help in any way. We're, we're the uh, obviously the example that's uh, on their way uh, with already building a project. So um, we're, we're a ready resource and a, a valuable resource, I think, in their process. So we'll see where it goes. Thanks, Bob. I'm also curious if there's a difference in your members across different states in terms of appetites for dealing with uh, delivering broadband or if the interest is pretty similar. Chris, I think there's uh, interest from all kinds of areas, um, e- even those co-ops that are serving closer to the suburban areas. What what everyone understands, and I think you you get this firsthand, is you know when when kind of the Google showed up with this whole whole idea of uh, Googleifying a city or Google fibering a city, um, and that whole contest that went on for the better part of two years, I think, kind of raised the kind of the specter of 
well, what does this mean, fiber, and and what can this provide versus what we already have, and um, and and this notion of uh, this being like the technology uh, that, that passes every other technology easily, and 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 to the extent that you can say future-proof, it is. It, it just it just seems like I, I don't think there's any end to the desire of folks, not even just our own membership, um, and I'll I'll touch on that a little bit, but even beyond our membership, that really would like to get connected to fiber. And if if you look at who is signing up um, on our website. It's probably um, basically three to one right now. So for every three members that we have signing up to take service from us, we have a, a person signing up that is not an electric member of ours, but is close enough to see what we're doing and hoping that they can get connected as well. Ah, interesting. So you're getting pressure to expand even to people that aren't members of the co-op at that at this point then? Yes, very much so. It's probably one of the hardest things for us to manage towards is this this demand that's um, that's outside or external to our current footprint, um, and and that is that's the strong desire for all these other peoples to get connected to. I think that there are two key questions that come up, and and Dave, I'd like to direct this to you first. Mm-hmm. In terms of a project like this, how do you finance it? And there's a context here that rural areas have too little demand and that if you wanted to deliver high-quality Internet access to them, it would be too costly. So how do you make it work? Well, in terms of your uh, first question, how we're, uh, how we're financing the project through member equity, we reached out to um, USDA, RUS, the Rural Utility Service, um, because as Bob mentioned earlier, uh, we were looking at um, our need for communications, better communications, utilizing uh, fiber. And so we uh, talked with uh, the RUS about uh, improving our communications, utilizing fiber through our substations, through our facilities, and ultimately to uh, the member home. And they agreed that that was a, a good purpose for us to pursue. Uh, you're looking at the clean power plan uh, in, in the very near future in terms of what the ramifications might be uh, to the users of electricity, also within the state of Michigan looking at a new energy bill, and our need really to help people manage their energy use better going forward. So that did resonate with the RUS, and ultimately we're financing this project through an RUS work plan loan through the electric side. Uh, so that provides us the equity to pursue this project, which is uh, going to be deployed over uh, five years, running about 400 miles of uh, fiber a year. And as we're uh, connecting homes, uh, looking at those folks that uh, would enjoy a, a voice or a data drop. So it's kind of an integrated project. Again, uh, smart grid communications, first and foremost, for utility purposes, and then voice and data drops beyond that. You know, our financial uh, modeling um, bears out the fact that, you know, we'll be cash positive um, after three years of uh, building out our project. So we're very confident that despite the fact we're in rural areas, um, you know, there's an ability to, um, say, realize a profit for the entity so that, you know, beyond the five years, we can begin looking at those areas, um, you know, that are not an immediate part of our service footprint. So uh, it's been a very good and very positive project for us and certainly resonates with members and non-members alike. Let's clarify the rural utility service financing. In, in clarifying that, it's that this is loan financing, right? Yeah, correct. You know, we did receive a uh, small uh, rural broadband experiment through the SEC. Bob's been very engaged in the past, uh, 
you know, advancing the notion that non-traditional providers of uh, broadband services should be considered uh, in the Connect America Fund. And as part of that, we applied for that rural broadband experiment, received a little more than $200,000. Uh, probably the, the better part of that was just becoming eligible for the CAF uh, Phase Two auctions, which will hopefully happen uh, sometime in uh, 2017. So for the most part, um, yes, we are doing this uh, through member equity. Um, but there is an opportunity, say, to uh, engage CAFES, too, and receive some funding that will help us really kind of build out a little bit faster and uh, perhaps uh, consider some of the folks uh, in those census blocks that we build out to that are not members of Midwest Energy. Now, Bob, I just want to, I really want to make this very clear for everyone that even though it took a tremendous amount of investment to take electricity to everyone, I don't think that it really costs the American taxpayers very much. I'm not trying to to mix things together too much here. Uh, we we have roughly 120 million dollars of, of plant, and I like to say that we're, I remind folks that it took us 80 years to build. What's interesting about this project is, is though although we are telling people that we're going to build 2,000 miles of fiber from scratch, uh, and we're going to do it in five years, it doesn't seem to be fast enough. <laughs> so, and, and the fact that it's you know nearly a 60 million dollar investment. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it can be done, you know, with the help of RUS, uh, with respect to seeing the need and, and the opportunity with, with, as Dave was uh, projecting to you, uh, the notion of smart grid and, and getting connections all the way to the home so we can deal with in-home devices at some time in the future is, is invaluable. That's right. But the point that I really want to hit on is that when the federal government is giving out loans, the budgetary impact is quite small compared to other programs. Um, the electric co-ops, they receive billions of dollars of loans, followed by billions of dollars in repayments over many years, over decades. The interest rate may have been subsidized, but, but overall, this type of program seems like a very reasonable investment. When you think about a bang for the buck, I can't imagine that there's another federal program that you could point to that has been as successful or as deeply as successful as the REA-RUS program, VAR none. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> um, you think about this over time and, and what was accomplished with loan dollars, as you pointed out, maybe subsidized a little bit with respect to the interest rates. But when you see what we've accomplished and what we continue to accomplish with those loan loan dollars and now carrying on the kind of the tradition as we did with the electric system, now with another product that's becoming more and increasingly important uh, in the mix with respect to services to, to folks, um, we're just repeating what we did back in the 30s. Now, you mentioned the CAF $2, and that's, that's one of the ways that the Federal Communications Commission is giving out these grants. But as we move into the final question of the show, I want to talk about the response from your members to your service. But first, let's just finish the CAF 2 discussion by noting that the FCC has just given, without any hope of repayment, I mean, these are just grants, billions of dollars to the biggest private telephone companies so they can build out to the obsolete 10 megabit down, 1 megabit up standard. Now, you all got $200,000 to deliver much faster connections. Now, do, you, do your members appreciate the difference between what you're doing versus what that 10 megabit by 1 megabit minimum is? Chris, I think, unfortunately, um, most folks don't get it. Most po folks don't understand what's really happening with Universal Service Fund and, and now CAF. Um, I, I think there would be a, a countrywide outcry. I think you'd have pitchforks and, 
and other things arriving uh, in the ca- in our ca- nation's capital. If if they knew what we know, Dave and I, having gone in the FCC for the last almost four years now, and seeing firsthand how quickly it is to throw thirty billion dollars through the fan without ever a second thought to what are we getting for the thirty billion, other than you know second class citizenry for for our folks getting ten one when the rest of the country is moving towards these other standards, it's close to being criminal. I, I kind of fashion it to be, you know, you just shoved one of those metal objects into a sore part of my mouth. It, it's just crazy. Even with CAF 2 and the struggles that we've had to help them get rules in place so that they can have the stupid auction in the first place and all the restrictions on $2 billion that they'd never put on the $30 billion, it, it's just crazy. It's ludicrous. Dave, uh, let me jump in quick before you respond. And I, I just want to make sure people understand that making loan guarantees to co-ops requires a 10% budget hit. And that's to say that doing $30 billion in loan guarantees requires budgeting only $3 billion. The $30 billion that is being misused from the CAF, from the Connect America Fund, that could have wired the entire country if it was spent in co-op loan guarantees. All right, so now, Dave, can you please pile on. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, my only point in talking about, uh, you know, the $30 billion, which has gone out the last 15 months to uh, the price cap carriers and, and rate of return carriers, um, is to kind of point back to a conversation I had with uh, Dana McKenzie, who's the uh, chief of uh, Minnesota's broadband office. And, and they've set, you know, an appropriate benchmark there of 25 um, download and three up, um, you know, kind of statewide in terms of what they're promoting within the uh, state of Minnesota, which is the national broadband standard. But, of course, that $30 uh, billion went out with the only expectation that uh, they build out to a 10-1 standard. And so I had that chat with her. Are you frustrated? Are you disappointed? And she said immensely so. Um, you know, if the FCC, from a policy standpoint, had the intestinal fortitude to set that standard at 25-3, they essentially would have realized their goal well ahead of uh, the date that they had set, which I think was 2020 to hit that standard. So I know, uh, you know, our frustration in going in and, and chatting with the FCC is, you know, let's not set it at 10-1, let's at least set it at the broadband standard at 25-3. Um, so that we can kind of incent people to build out better networks uh, like fiber going forward. It's worth noting that that Minnesota requirement is not only 25 megabits by three, but that you also have to be using a technology that can scale all the way up to 100 megabits. And I I think that's a really good approach. Uh, Chris, I think that's consistent with the New York standard now, too. I think that it's important to make sure that we're wisely investing so we don't have to spend more in like three more years for a new round of upgrades on networks that we've just subsidized. But I want to end on a more positive note. Um, Dave, can you give us a testimonial from your members explaining why this is so important? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mentioned that when we were out uh, in Minneapolis, and we've actually taken uh, over 100 pages of testimonials into the FCC and left them with uh, commissioner offices because they do resonate. I mean, they hear from us, but to hear from our members, to hear from customers, to hear from folks in the uh, rural space, really resonates with those folks. And, and even now when we go back out there, they ask if we've um, updated that because we get these testimonials daily. Uh, my favorite, and I'll let Bob uh, chime in with a couple of his, um, this uh, person from Edwardsburg said, we're so pleased with Midwest as we thought this service would never come down our dirt lane off of a dirt road. And I think that really kind of explains what it is we're doing. We're not going out to the urban areas, the areas of high density, uh, we came down a dirt lane off of a dirt road to provide this person with uh, gigabit-capable fiber. And, Bob, do you also have one that you'd like to share? 
Uh, the, the one that's uh, striking to me is um, this one. It says uh, another customer that's hooked up now. When you live out in the country, you learn that not all things are easy, not all things are accessible at a moment's notice. The country teaches you patience and understanding. Today, with the blink of an eye, something that I was told would never happen to the rural people. We have internet, not by tether of a phone or an air card with an astronomical price tag on it. Thank you, Midwest Connections, for being the stand-up people that you said you were. I cannot tell you thank you enough. I'd just add, Chris, too, it's just it's interesting how life-changing this is for people in our area. They've been used to, again, uh, you know, poor service, um, dial-up service, and to have fiber optic available to them has been um, just amazing for them. And it's, it's taken me by surprise, in all honesty. You know, there's a certain class of people, though, that live in cities and might be thinking, what do I get out of it? If, if they have better internet access out there in the country. Now, my answer is a, is a thought experiment, which is what if we did not electrify the country with the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration, and we thereby saved maybe billions of dollars, a few billions of dollars in federal budgeting over many decades, maybe. We don't even know that we would save that much. But if we did, we'd also end up with smaller markets. We wouldn't have... Uh, people being as productive in, in the rural areas, and they would not be buying things that other people are producing. And my point is that this is not charity. It's, it's, it's in my self-interest as someone living in the St. Paul um, to make bigger markets everywhere because we're going to have a better economy. We're seeing for the well, first time in our nation's history uh, the fact that rural areas are losing population. And as they continue to you know, bursts aren't keeping up with the uh, rural outflight, and as people move back, uh, say, to cities and urban centers, to avail themselves of services like broadband, that's going to tax those uh, urban centers from an infrastructure standpoint. So, you know, that's uh, that should be a concern to rural areas, or excuse me, urban areas, in terms of how you maintain roads and uh, sewer systems and things like that as people move back to cities. I'd like to remind folks, but for rural electrification and now this new valuable service with respect to particularly how farms operate today, you know, we have the food out here. We're the producers. Yeah, the uh, the food doesn't just magically appear in cans then, I guess, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a good reminder. I'm, You know, I'm excited by your project, and I, and I really want to thank you for joining us on the call. Thank you very much. Chris, you know, we, we have uh, reminders of our past scattered throughout our office of, of when we were constructing, when this co-op was constructing the lines back in the 30s. And one that's really striking to me is a, a lady who's reaching up to turn on that light bulb for the first time. And that's exactly what this feels like to all of us. And it's really helpful to get the kind of affirmations that we're getting from members. But I really see this as a relighting of rural America. Yes, I'm with you. And you know, I think sometimes people say that this isn't as big as electricity. But when electricity was first rolling out, people didn't know where that was going to go either. So I think you're doing the right thing. What we have to do is make wise investments and then let time do its thing. I like to think that we spend once. Build once, spend once. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris talking with Bob Hans, President and CEO from Midwest Energy Cooperative, and Dave Allen, Vice President of Regulatory Compliance from the Cooperative. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. 
Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks.org. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR podcast family. You can do it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to the group Mojo Monkeys for their song Bodacious, licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 225 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>